When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of My 7 Chakras, we explore the ancient self-healing science of Ayurveda. You will discover the power of the placebo effect, how that one fear or trauma might not be yours but passed down from your ancestors, the crucial connection between your gut, your skin and your brain and how emotions get stored as molecules in your body. I've interviewed a globally recognized leader in the fields of natural health, Ayurveda and sports medicine, Dr. John Duyard. So stick till the very end because this episode is jam-packed with mind-blowing information. I do want to mention that we did have a little tech issue because of which there was a slight echo after my voice. So I have limited my responses so that you have a pleasurable listening experience. Let's begin. The Seven Chakras swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head for thousands of years this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple what are the functions of these energy centers and could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose welcome to my seven chakras and now your host Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My Seven Chakras, my7chakras.com, the place where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss. In today's episode, we talk about some really fascinating topics, including how your childhood shapes your worldview, how to improve digestion and why the health of your skin might be more important than you think it is. So if you love these topics, then make sure that you hit the subscribe button on your iPhone. If you're on Spotify, hit the follow button uh, because if you're not subscribed, then you're going to miss out on all these new episodes that we are coming out with. And if you'd like to watch the full video, then make sure that you go to our YouTube channel. That is my7chakras.com forward slash YouTube, because we have a whole library of amazing videos lined up for you. That's my7chakras.com forward slash YouTube. With that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Dr. John Duyard. Dr. Duyard is a globally recognized leader in the fields of natural health, Ayurveda, and sports medicine. He's the creator of LifeSpa.com, the leading Ayurvedic health and wellness resource on the web with thousands of free articles, ebooks, and videos. With over 10 million YouTube views and over 105,000 newsletter subscribers, LifeSpa is evolving the way Ayurveda is understood around the world, joining ancient wisdom with modern science. Former director of player development for the New Jersey Nets NBA team, Dr. John is also a repeat guest on the Dr. Oz Show, author of seven health books, including bestsellers Eat Wheat and the Three Season Diet, seven online courses, including Yoga Journal's Ayurveda 201 on Ayurvedic psychology, and he directs Life Spa 
Ayurvedic Clinic, the 2013 Holistic Wellness Center of the Year in Boulder, Colorado. And for those of you who don't know, Dr. Duyard was one of our first guests when we started this podcast back in 2015, and he made his appearance in 2016. And now today he joins us once again. So firstly, Dr. John, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful, wonderful. And so I've got so many topics that I was hoping to explore on today's session, but I wanted to start from the very beginning. Where did you grow up as a kid and what was life like back then? <laughs> uh, I grew up in a very small town in, in New York, uh, Valhalla, New York. Um, went to Valhalla High School and it was, uh, uh, I went to Catholic school and there was a little village. We'd walk down to the school and there was a dam and a reservoir. We would sneak in and swim. It was a very uh, rural outdoor environment. Spent a lot of time in the woods. Um, and uh, so I grew up and, uh, you know, it was a great, great childhood, old fashioned childhood. Wonderful. And what did you want to become when you were a child back then? Oh God, um, I didn't know. Um, <clears throat> I went to uh, I, out of high school. I I, I uh, was going to go to to university, but um, I didn't really know what I was going to study. And that summer, I got a, a flyer in the mail about learning how to fly at an aeronautical institute. And uh, my uncle, both my uncles, flew, so I had flown a lot. You know, as a kid, I was like, God, I just want to do that. You know. And learn something, you know. And so I went to aeronautical school, learned how to fly, and then did that for a year. Then I went to my dad was a contractor, so I went to civil engineering for two years and did that. And I didn't really want to do that for a living, so then I ended up uh, um, <clears throat> finding my way to uh, Vail, Colorado, and taught skiing for a year because I was a ski instructor and ski raced my whole life, and um, and ended up um, meeting a stunt coordinator in L.A and who invited me to come back and do stunts in LA. And we were doing stuff on skis way back when I was young and that was stunt-like. And I ended up going to stunt school in LA and there I was going to a chiropractor to sort of see if uh, I can get my bones put back together. We we're doing high falls and different things that were pretty re reckless. And, and uh, so I ended up getting introduced to sports-based chiropractic and then ended up going back to school for my prereqs and ended up going to LA for chiropractic college. And, uh, and then ended up, um, you know, studying acupuncture and heard the word Ayurveda. And I was like super intrigued by that. And, and uh, just kind of dug in until I could figure out what Ayurveda was and how to study it. And ended up in 1986, went to India for a two-year or for a two-week vacation, uh, three-week vacation, just try to see if I could learn some Ayurvedic medicine in India in 1986. Ended up staying there for a year and a half, closed my practice in Boulder, Colorado by phone, Never came back to that practice. When I came back a year and a half later, somebody I didn't even know was driving my car. My stuff was in five different houses. And, you know, I pieced it all back together and went back to India, got married here, got, went back to India. And, you know, uh, and that's where I met Deepak Chopra and came, ended up coming back and running his Ayurvedic center for, for uh, about eight years and then came back to Boulder and ran my own center here for the last, since 1994. I've been back in Boulder full time doing Ayurveda. And then all along the way, you know, I was doing, I, I administered Panchakarma for 26 years and did all of that. But when I started doing videos and, and writing articles about ancient Ayurvedic wisdom and modern science, that's when I think I really found what I was going to grow, what I was supposed to do when I grow up, which was to dig into the Ayurvedic wisdom 
and then try to find science to back it up and then put the two together, which is what we do every day, every week, three times a week. We write articles and videos on my website at lifespot.com so people can go like, wow, if something's been around for a thousand years or a hundred years or 500 years, whatever, and it's still in practice today, and we can now find science to prove it, at the very least, we should at least know about that or look at that. And that's what our website's all about. And that's what I do these days for a living is I, I write articles about ancient wisdom and modern science. We have an Ayurvedic store, all organic herbs, and people find our store and that pays the bills. It's a wonderful life. That's amazing. And I think one thing unique about you is that uh, you're not just talking about Ayurveda, but you're mixing it and blending it with the science as well as including some level of humor as well where people start laughing and when, once people start laughing they enjoy it and when you talk about the why behind uh, what you're sharing which is largely ancient knowledge sometimes it can be abstract or mystical and you and you make it practical and applicable that's when people really want to try it out themselves so you know going back to the first time you heard about ayurveda and then you went to india was that for about a year and a half? Mm -hmm. So what made you, that's a big step, right? So what made you go, you know what? I need to learn more about Ayurveda. What within you, you know, led to that sort of aha moment or said, I want to, you know, learn more in India. Well, the details, are, the devil's always in the details, right? So, so I heard the word Ayurveda in 1980, 81, and somehow couldn't get the name out of my head. And back in 1980, there wasn't a lot of Ayurveda to be had in, our, in America at all. I mean, it was really, you know, secret and hidden and nobody talked about it. So in 1986, my friends and I from Boulder, Colorado, we had, China had opened up their borders so you could actually go to Tibet for the first time in a long time. So we got permits to ride our mountain bikes from Lhasa, Tibet to Kathmandu. And we were all ready to go. And my sister was married to a very famous magician named was Doug Henning, uh, who's recently passed, not recently, but had passed away a while back. And But he was like, you know, the David Copperfield, you know, he was the head magician before David Copperfield. TV shows, specials, Broadway plays, all that. And he was into real magic, meditation and, you know, Ayur, you know not Ayurveda, but meditation and all that. And he had a vision slash dream slash nightmare where uh, the road collapsed. I was paralyzed from the waist down. I was injured on this trip, riding my bike from Lhasa, Tibet to Kathmandu. And my sister calls me up, tells me this story. And she said, please don't go on this trip. It's really dangerous. I'm going, you guys are crazy. I can't, no way am I, uh, am I not going on this trip. We have permits and everything. My mom calls me up a couple of weeks later and she says, John, and she's like the rock of our family, spiritual rock, you're really solid. And she goes, John, I got to tell you that around the same time Doug had his vision, I had a lucid dream, lucid vision. My mom was really spiritual. And she said, very similar thing happened. It was a major accident and roads collapsed there all the time. And she said, yeah. please don't go. You were injured and blah, blah, blah. So I ended up not going, but my sister and Doug were going to India. They were a part of the TM organization. They were going to go see Maharishi Mahashogi in India. And they said, why don't you come? You can learn Ayurveda anywhere you want in Delhi. That'll be a base for you. You used to have a home base. So I said, okay, I'll go. So I went and then I ended up um, meeting Marishi that night. There was a festival and he looked at me and he said, first thing he said to me was, I want to teach you Ayurvedic medicine. And I was like, well, that was easy. I hadn't even been in India for <laughs> six hours and I got invited yeah. to learn Ayurveda. And I was like, well, that's cool. And then he goes, but here's the catch. He goes, I want you to stay here permanently. And I was like, I haven't even met this, you know, like and I'm, I, I, my mom taught me TM, not taught me, gave me TM instruction when I was 17 and so I had it on my whole life. It was, it was just, you know, but I wasn't a, 
you know, a part of the group, really. I was just a satisfied customer, you know. And um, and uh, I said permanently. I was like, oh, I can't do permanent. You know, I got $50,000 in student loans I got to pay off and just started a practice in Boulder, Colorado. Can't do that. And he goes, well, why don't you just stay here for a few weeks and see how it goes? Well, that ended up being a year and a half. That's where I met Deepak there. And I had an Ayurvedic teacher who taught me Ayurveda, who became my best friend in my life and still dear friends to this day and became like family. And uh, so I just got, I, I learned Ayurveda by following my teacher around as opposed to the book knowledge in the academic world. I learned by following and learning and asking questions. And it was the sort of the way traditionally it was taught. And I was very fortunate, like blessed, like crazy. All I had to do was say yes to, you know, going to uh, Tibet or going to, and then saying yes to, to going to India instead of Tibet. And then when I had the opportunity to, you know, stay permanently, I, I said yes to that. So I think it's a, the message in my life is like, you know, we should be saying yes more in our lives because that's the, the flow of your dharma, the flow of what you're supposed we all I really believe we all have a mission to do. And trying to find that thing is sometimes hard in our life. Yeah. And I think yeah. if you say no, you're never going to find it, right? So you got to explore. Like I, you know, I did civil engineering and I did aeronautics and I did, you know, I got a real estate license along the way in, in Colorado when I was doing ski instructing. I did ski instructing and, you know, I, I tried so many different things until I finally found the niche. And then even when I went to chiropractic school, I knew that I wasn't going to be a chiropractor my whole life. And now here I am doing what I do, which I don't even know what you call it, you know, but, but, it's, but it's what I love. And uh, so I think it's, uh, that was the message. That's how I got here. Wonderful. I mean, so many lessons that we can draw from what you shared so far. Firstly is, you know, sometimes in life you got to just um, say yes. And you got to say yes more number of times uh, because you never know where life might lead you. And the second thing is don't depend too much on the book. Sometimes you got to learn from that master or that guru, so to speak. And if you don't have that guru, just go on to YouTube because you're putting out such amazing videos on YouTube and people just need to, you know, take down notes. And a lot of it is very practical and you can take action and see the results in your life. So if you don't have that guru, you don't immediately need to go somewhere to India and to the mountains. You can go to YouTube because you are putting such amazing content there. And, you know, talking about you talk a lot about emotions, right? And you say that the first six years of our life is really crucial because how we live our first six and the emotions that we experience during our first six years can determine our health and our longevity as well, right? So could you talk a bit about this? You know, many of us, we live our lives in an unconscious state because if 95% of the stuff we think and say and do as adults are coming from impressions from the first six years of life, and that's 95% of the stuff we're saying and doing now as adults, we're pretty unconscious. Well, Ayurveda sort of, and this is hard science, by the way. Um, Ayurveda knew that we're unconscious, you know, and the whole point of Vedic knowledge was to give you truth. Uh, Ayur means Ayurveda. Ayur means life. Veda means truth. So it means the truth of your life. What is the truth of your life? Like we said before, you got to keep finding the road to find the truth of your dharma, your life, your life's mission, your life's work. But it's also the emotional truth. You know, we spend our childhood wanting mom and dad to approve of us, love of us, our friends to like us. We, and we have a culture that didn't change that. It fed that. 
we have a culture that created more reward chemistry, more dopamine to feed us in a temporary way to give us temporary satisfaction and contentment, as opposed to realizing that I can never be satisfied from the outside world. I can't buy enough cars, houses, ice cream, shoes, whatever, like, to satisfy me in a sustainable way. That there's a, there only to explore our inner space as opposed to re rewarded from outer space. And that's what Ayurveda was about. Vedic knowledge is about truth, diving into the truth versus the non-truth. And the non-truth is I have figured out a way to be me. And along the way, I figured out how to get you to like me. So mm. I, I dress a certain way. I, I, I became a pleaser, I became a class clown, I became, you know, you know, an extrovert, I became an introvert, who wouldn't like an introvert? All of that was based on my genetics and my impressions from when, from my, maybe even past lives, where our ancestors for sure, that's hard science, we carry those and we figure out a way to get satisfied in this life. And that becomes our personality. Rites of passage were built along the way in traditional cultures to move through needing to be love and being finally being the love. Mm. Taking a risk to open the petals of your armored up, protective, maybe even hurt heart and feel safe to open that up and let something real out. That's what Ayurveda is about. So whether it be yoga, breathing, meditation, you know, pranayam, uh, living in sync with the natural cycles in a circadian rhythm type of way, taking the herbs to balance your digestion. The underlying message there is to create a physiology that's in balance, that's in peace. And in peace, there's calm. And in calm, there's awareness. And in awareness, there's potential to choose, to take action based on what's true or what's not true. So the whole idea in Ayurveda is to pull back the bow and to create an internal experience of peace and calm. When you pull back a bow before you shoot, if you're moving the arrow string around, no one knows where that arrow is going to land. But if mm. I pull back, pull back that bow, and I hold it perfectly still, and then release the arrow, I'm gonna shoot a transformational arrow. This is called establishing being and then performing action from my truth. But most of us are not taking action from my truth, from my silence, from my eye of the storm, the bigger the eye of a storm, the more powerful the winds, the more effective you are in the world. But people mm. don't function from the eye they function in the winds, dodging refrigerators and Winnebago's and crazy things that could kill you. We endure stress, and then we have to recover from that stress. And that's how we live our lives. We have stress reduction techniques like meditation, yoga, and breathing. They're not stress reduction techniques. Those techniques are designed to create an eye, a calm, an inner sense of peace and calm. So you have heightened awareness. So you can see the truth and take action from your truth. And from that place, the eye of the storm, you don't have to recover from the stress because there's no stress in the eye of the storm. The storm, the wind, the stress is in the winds where most people live. So everybody's like, you guys got it so wrong. And people have gotten really good at dodging refrigerators and all the stress in their life. But very few have taken the dive into inner space, become mm -hmm. an astronaut of inner space and really experience the calm and then begin to train yourself to function from that inner place of composure and calm. And from there, you're stress-free. And that's where you make change because now you're not engaging in behavior based on your childlike patterns of behavior. You're free to do you as a free to manipulate your environment to like you, approve of you, appreciate you. That's how most people live their life. It's unsad, 
we are trained that way from kids because we want a mom and dad to love us. And if they didn't love us or watch over us, we would have wandered into the woods and gotten eaten by a lion a long time ago. There'd be no people here. So we have a hard wire to want approval. But the rite of passage, becoming conscious, is when you choose to not need the approval and realize the thing that will fill you up the most is when I feel safe enough to open my heart, to give myself fully to you. You will feel that that's real. And you will feel safe enough in that reality of my truth to feel safe to open up the petals of your flower and let the reality of you interact with me. Now we have a relationship, a communion. There was a study done where they took two groups of people. One group was giving a gift in a hedonistic way. I give you this gift and I hope that you like it. I'm attached to the outcome of my giving you this gift. And then the other group gave a gift in a eudaimonic way, which means I just love this gift. I want you to have it. And I don't care if you like it or not. I have no attachment to the outcome. They measured the genetic impact of both those ways of giving. And when I gave you a gift, it was still a nice gift, but it was in a hedonistic way. It had a negative change on your genetic code. It damaged you. Your body at a subtle level could tell it was full of it. It wasn't real. He wanted something for, for himself in return. Yeah. So when I gave it in a eudaimonic way, it literally positively changed the genetic code. And it was life supporting. So we can tell when someone is coming at you to manipulate you to like me and approve of me and do business with me or whatever, or when I'm just giving you me. Mm. That's the game of life. That's the fundamental game of life we play in Ayurveda. They talk about it as a great battle, the battle between the mind choosing, do I want them to like me or am I going to actually take a risk to do me? to establish the being, my stillness, and then take action and shoot that arrow from the truth of me and not get caught up in the manipulation that gives me temporary reward chemistry that is fleeting and depleting. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wow, there's so much of knowledge in what you've shared so far. I mean, if you look at the West, a lot of people say, take action, take action, take action, right? And then there's a, another group that says that, you know, don't take so much action. You need to first go within. But I think you're saying both are important. You need to take action as well. You need to set goals. You need to work towards your vision. But if you work towards your vision without really establishing that beingness within, you might achieve those goals but that's not what you truly deeply desire from your inner self, right? And so- One goal leads to another, you're never, you're never satisfied. You know, people who are, you know, make all the money, are they, I mean, I have a lot of patients who are very wealthy over the years. I, I don't see them satisfied, I don't see them content. They've never explored inner space. They've never taken a risk to look at their, to look at what's holding them back from loving fully their wife, their partner, their family. They're still in, in, involved in manipulating everything around them. And there's mm. obviously a lot of people who have done it because there's a lot of spiritual people on the planet 
Yeah. But it's the game of life that we have to play. And if you don't, a lot of people aren't even playing the game. They're not even in the game. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not sitting around the table in the game. They're just out there trying to get the reward chemistry the best they can. And some people are really good at it. And from our perspective, wow, they have this beautiful mansion and blah, 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 all this stuff, right? And we, we are, you know, our senses go out, but they also go in. And we can let them go, you know, they can overzealously go out and we can think that's the key to our satisfaction. And it's not. We have to use our senses as avenues of consciousness to become more self-aware. And when you become aware, then all of a sudden door number two comes onto the screen. You don't even know there's a door number two. Normally it's a door number one. Go get what you want. She, yeah. she a capitalist. Get what you want. But then all of a sudden door number two comes like, do me? What does that mean? Well, this was doing them. I can go through door number one and do the same dumb thing I did my whole life because I learned how to do it as a child. And I'm still projecting that personality on the screen today as an adult. And it's working for me, except I'm not content. And I have all these health problems. And then as you begin to take random acts of kindness in your life, choose to open your heart to the cashier at Walmart or the grocery store and ask them, hey, where did you get those cool headphones? Like, and that microphone, is that like, is that like, we're in that shirt. Are you, did you get that in Hawaii? I love that. Like asking things about you, the person that you're interacting with and, and tell them it's, that shirt is so beautiful. And, and, and I love how it looks on you and makes me want to go to Hawaii. Have you ever been there? You know, and all of a sudden now we're in this relationship and people, and that you disengaged in random acts of kindness. You facilitated neural patterns in your brain to be kind. Mm -hmm. This triggers a hormone called oxytocin which is the antithesis of dopamine, which you only get when you stimulate. And if you stimulate it too much, you have to keep amping up the stimulant. You need more coffee, a bigger house, a bigger car to get the same reward. But oxytocin, the more you give, the more oxytocin you make, and it never runs out. It's the longevity hormone. It's a bonding, loving, giving, caring hormone. And it comes by having these interactions with people, taking time to go to the eye of the storm, Realize the truth. This is a human being that I'm interacting with right now. And they have a life. And they have a family. And they grew up and they went through things. And I have an opportunity to connect with that human being and connect on a heart-to-heart -heart level. And all of a sudden, my brain goes, hey, that was cool. I got an oxytocin dose from that. And I feel great. They feel great. Everybody felt safe in the relationship to do a little bit more of them. We became conscious. And that's the biggest reward is to become conscious. That is some really, really good advice. And Action Tribe, if you're listening to this right now, we're talking about the emphasis of random acts of kindness, not being kind because you want something from that person, but being kind because that is who you are. You're radiating kindness without any expectation of any return whatsoever. So Dr. John, you talk a lot about placebo as well, right? I mean, speaking about consciousness, you talk about placebo. So talk to us a bit about how powerful the placebo effect can be. Well, you should know that when drug manufacturers make a drug, um, they, uh, the drug only has to outperform the placebo one time to be approved as a drug. Mm. And, and many drugs, best-selling drugs on the market today for depression, things like that, um, are on the market because they beat the placebo just one time. It's 60 something to 83 or 4% effective, the placebo, the ability to uh, have this ability to um, change your body 
by changing your mind um, and heal. So there's something about it. And the mechanism is unclear, but there are these things we now know called biophotons. And mm. biophotons, I don't know how deep we want to get, but this is a quantum physics discussion a little bit. Um, and in quantum physics, the biophotons are photons that are information carrying molecules in particles in our body that communicate within our body mm. and they carry information. And they also are changed by, um, by impressions. They're changed by your thoughts, by your intention. You can change and morph the quality of those biophotons. These biophotons also move in the body at the speed of light, not just in our body, but they communicate between your and my body are having a biophoton thing right now, even though you're wherever you are. They move at the speed of light at great distances. Einstein called it spooky action at a distance, that these, these move at great distances at the speed of light instantaneously. So these are biophotons. Biophotons are in changed by intention, right? So if I have this intention to get well, I change and alter my biophotons, which have a healing effect. Now, how does that make sense? A photon is a wave, it's a particle of light. That's mm. what a photon is. But by definition, a photon is not only a particle of light, when you look at the visual light spectrum, it's also a wave. So a photon by definition is both a wave and a particle. Okay, so in the Vedic science, we have this, and this is quantum physics as well, there's an underlying field that predates the Big Bang. It predates space and time. It was there before any of this happened. And it's still here today. And this field, you know, is called, many physicists believe it's consciousness, awareness. So, but it's the field is there. Whether you believe it's conscious or not, the field has been well established. It's there. It's an underlying field of intelligence. It's been there forever. It's intelligent. We know it's intelligent. They say if, if this whole universe wasn't intelligent, it'd be like having a tornado fly through a, a junkyard and having the tornado uh, put together a perfectly running functioning airplane you can get in and fly. That's how impossible it would be for a tornado to go through a house, a field, a neighborhood, and put together an airplane. Not going to happen. That would be how mathematically, how possible it is for this to be random. It's not random. There's no way it's random. So the, 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 the biophotons are photons that are at the junction point between that field and the physiology or the matter. At some point, this field becomes particles and then at some point it becomes us, right? Mm. So if you can put your attention at the place where the field becomes matter, you can put your attention at the junction point between consciousness and matter. Now, in Ayurvedic medicine, and I believe a lot of the Vedic stuff because I've written so many articles on ancient wisdom being found 3,000 years later, proven in modern science. And one of their fundamental principles is that the cause of disease is called pragya parad, the mistake of the intellect, where the mind starts thinking itself as separate from the whole, from the field of intelligence. So we have this field of consciousness that becomes us, and then we start thinking we're so cool because we do dopamine instead of oxytocin. We stop thinking and realizing that my truth is in the consciousness, in the inner space. My truth is not out there. 
So the, the, the purpose of Vedic science, Ayurveda, was to restore the memory of pure consciousness in every cell. So if you have a field that becomes physiology, and then that physiology forgets that it's part of the field, and you wanted to restore the memory, where would you put your attention? Inside. 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 Right at the junction point where the field and the physiology meet. Mm -hmm. And right at the junction point between the field and the physiology is things that are both particles and waves, because the field is waves and, the, and you and me are particles. So if you wanna be, restore the memory, we put our attention to where the photons, the particles and waveforms exist. And that's the only place they exist, is as photons. So these bio photons that we have, if you are, and here's the interesting new science, they're, they're changed by our intention. Mm. So if we can create intentions, then we, and at that level, we, restore, we can bring awareness and facilitate events at the level of field and physiology. Now, they took a monkey, stuck him in a, in a, in a cage next to another monkey. One monkey had been radiated because he had some cancer. They put the healthy monkey next to the unhealthy monkey. And within 48 hours, the unhealthy monkey, the healthy monkey had more radiation damage than the monkey that was radiated for their cancer. And they measured the mechanism of how that monkey got damaged, and it was biophotons. Hmm. Prayer, when I pray, has been studied again and again and again to be effective. Now, not every study for prayer has turned out to be you know, positive, but there's so many, it's very difficult for us to, very difficult for us to uh, dis dispute that prayer doesn't work. But now we have a mechanism for how prayer works. Prayer works by you know, these having accessing the eye of the storm, pulling back the bow, mm -hmm. creating an inner experience of your truth, creating an intention at that level. We know from science that can create either coherent or incoherent biophotons. And if I create coherent biophotons from my truth and I shoot the arrow with a prayer or an action from that place, it's a transformational action at whoever I am shooting the arrow at. And if it's prayer, we, we have a mechanism for understanding how this crazy thing called prayer could in fact work. And you know, in India, there's distance healers on every corner almost. I mean, it's a very common thing that, give me a picture of your relative and I'll, I'll do a <clears throat> ceremony or I'll do something and we'll have a healing effect. These are mechanisms and understandings that were passed down for thousands of years that are now backed by science. Interesting. And by the way, that was one of the best explanations that I've heard about how placebo works and the biophotons and the example that you gave of the two monkeys. Uh, now, based on what you've shared and speaking about carrying of information and passing down of memory, some of the fears that we have might not be ours either, right? I mean, they might not be fears that we've had since childhood, but they might be fears that have been passed on from our parents or even down our ancestors. How does this work? <laughs> Three generations worth, at the very least, have been studied that if you have a traumatic event three generations ago, that event of trauma, famine, whatever it might have been, is going to be passed down to the through the genetic code. So mm. um, the genetic code is prepared for such an event. 
And that's whether it be a famine or a traumatic event, we carry those impressions. They did a study with monkeys and they found that, uh, that uh, or it was rabbits, and they gave the smell of peppermint associated mm -hmm. with a pinprick. And then um, soon, as soon as the rabbit would smell peppermint, they would freak out and you know panic. And then they had the, these rabbits had a baby, and then when the babies grew up, they would have them smell peppermint for the first time, and they would freak out. Same way. So we passed. They passed that sense that that peppermint was now associated with a traumatic event and run. So we we do it. It's part of this this, this species. It's something called horizontal transferogenic material, where we where our genes. So your bugs in your gut, right, are feeling everything, right? Mm -hmm. They so that's how we feel. Then they send a message to your brain and say, "Hey, there's a lion coming. You better start to run." So we have this. We also we have it through our senses, but the, the bugs are very involved in that from our gut. So gut feeling, brain gut gut brain connection is very very real. So 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 that's how our gut our bugs feel everything. You eat some glyphosate, some mutated from a pesticide, some mutated bug on some spinach or broccoli, and I eat that. That mutated microbe is now going to transfer their mutated genetic material to the to the bugs in my gut, mm. and the bugs in my gut will then send a message to my genetic code and say, "Hey, there's a lot of this weird stuff, glyphosate, coming around. You guys better get ready. I haven't seen it before." So this is how our species gets ready to stay alive and to, and to and of course the bugs are important are are interested in this because they need us to live we're their host mm -hmm. so they're doing it for themselves but we're the side effect um so 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 these bugs are feeling everything and and so they're creating this protection of the genetic code in a similar way that our bugs are feeling everything and then having impact on on the, the, the genetics of our species. In another way, um, if you think about the field of intelligence we talked about a little while ago, that we now have pretty good science that's intelligent, and that intelligent field, um, we, our consciousness, is interacting with that field. Mm. Every thought that we have is uploaded into that field called the Akashic Record. That field is the Akashic field. And, um, and, every, and then we can also not only upload our thoughts, so think about that. The field of intelligence that protect our bugs from feeling the whole, all the stuff we eat every day that brings new bugs and new things into our gut to tell our genetic code, and our, our genetic code is evolving. The field, the Akashic field is also evolving. And it's, mm. it's based on our thoughts that are being uploaded into that field, which is a bit of a scary thought that all of our thoughts are being uploaded into this field. And our field is changing, you know, the source of everything, call it God, whatever you want to call it, but it's an mm -hmm. intelligent field. So that does relate to if you're religious, it's like a God thing. Um, because it's clearly an intelligent field, it's clearly getting feedback from us, and we can also download from that field as well. We interact with that field, just like our bugs in the microcosm are interacting with the environment, and then sending that message to our genetic code to help us evolve, so we can support a healthier host to support the changes in our environment. 
to relationship between us as humans and the field is a similar micro-macrocosm relationship. Really, really interesting. So we have to think about, and Ayurveda is all about that, you know, what you think you become, what you see you become, you know, what you expose yourself to, if it's stressful thoughts and all these things, rajasic behavior, stressful behavior, you know, aggressive, you know, violent, all that is changing your microbiome and changing your genetic code, but it's also being uploaded into the field, which is also, you know, learning about what's happening here. And then we're having a relationship um, in terms of, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the species in the universe. And this, is, this was written 2,500 years ago in Charaka, the main Ayurvedic text. They wrote a book, they wrote a chapter on epidemics, on pandemics. And they said the reason why we have pandemics on this planet is because the heads of state are corrupt. And <clears throat> corruption at the heads of state level have an impact of corruption at the next level, at the next level, the merchants, the people become corrupt. That affects, now we now have no, that affects the biophoton, whether they're coherent or incoherent, and that affects the cycles of nature, the seasons. Now all of a sudden the rain doesn't come and it doesn't dry out and you get colds and, 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 and different types of you know, climate change events and things like that. They literally wrote that how our consciousness can affect the relationship to mother nature and mother nature can affect our consciousness and how this is a bi-directional pathway 2,500 years ago. And they said, this is the cause of epidemics is caused by corruption. And we're starting, we're not doing truth. We're not pulling back our bow, finding our truth and then shooting that arrow. We're doing it based on how can I manipulate my environment to get what I need to feel temporarily satisfied. And that's the world we live in today. It's a little bit dangerous, but they talked about that. And uh, I think it's a beautiful understanding of how, um, how prophetic they were. Because here we are, we live in a world, I don't care what side of the aisle you are and politically, you, whatever side you are, you're looking at the other side as totally corrupt. And that's yeah. a bad place to be. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, thanks a lot for sharing that, first of all. And Action Tribe, if you're listening right now, it's time to pay attention to the interconnectedness of everything, that everything is connected, the leadership of a country, their thoughts, their actions, their policies, the thoughts of our collective consciousness, all of it is being uploaded into the Akashic Records, and that leads to a pandemic. And... Uh, you spoke about very eloquently about the macrocosmic universe and the microcosmic universe, which is our own universe within. And something that really blew my mind was you said that our skin is the conduit between the universe, our external universe, and our inner universe. And it's more important than we give it credit. So could you talk to us a bit about our skin and the sure. role that it plays? Well, there's this skin on the outside, which is the... Uh you know, the outer skin, uh, which there's microbes on my skin. It's a microbiome. There's yep. microbes on my respiratory tract. There's a microbiome. People used to think that the microbiome, the respiratory tract was sterile, but it's not. It's a microbiome. There's the gut microbiome. And this is, you know, where the rubber meets the road. This is the intelligence of us. You know, we know that in a plant kingdom that the microbes in the soil are attracted to the roots of the plant. And right where the skin of the root and the plant meets is the microbiome. And that microbiome is now, we now know of science to show that it affects the uh, biointelligence of the plant. There's a, a, a one bug um, in the ginseng plant that they found is that you just take that one microbe next to the ginseng plant, 
that's just as powerful effect as the actual ginseng plant in the same direction. So we also know that the bugs change from one season to the next to the next, and that the soil, uh, that the plants we harvest change from one season to the next to the next. And the new emergent science in Western medicine, something Ayurveda talked about and I've written books about uh, over the years, is that we should be eating seasonally. That's pretty logical, right? That the seasons change and we should change our diet. And there was a study with deer where they did a study where deer would eat uh, leaves in the summer and they have a certain set of bugs in their gut to eat leaves in the summer. They have another set of bugs for bark in the winter. But if they gave the deer bark in the summer with the wrong bugs, it would cause such a level of indigestion it would mm. almost kill the deer. So deer potentially die when they eat out of season. And we have no idea what's in season or out of season. We just eat whatever we want. Many of us with foods that process, there's no bugs in it at all. We have lack of diversity, lack of intelligence. So the whole plant kingdom survives by this relationship between bugs and skin of the plant. And so do we. But our diversity of the foods we eat in the last 50 years has been reduced by 56%. In the last 30 years, the different diverse amount of foods, think about all over the world, foods that your parents ate and, and my parents ate and all over the world, that diversity of foods has now reduced by 56% in the last 30 years. We're eating the same processed food with no bugs in it or the same bugs in it, and that creates vulnerability vulnerability to immunity, because your gut has a thing called gut immunity, which is 70% of your immune response, which also directly, bi-directionally impacts with your respiratory immune response. And if that gut isn't healthy, neither will your respiratory immunity be healthy either, and we then pay the immune price for that. And that's how we don't handle pandemics very well when we're all vulnerable in a compromised way. Got it, got it. And so, you know, speaking about, you know, our external skin, and you sort of implied that not just this is our skin, the skin, you know, continues all the way till our gut as well. But talking about nourishing our skin, you talk about the power of an oil bath or a bhyanga, right? I mean, when I was a kid, you know, my dad would intuitively tell me whenever I was, you know, you know, angry or if I was, you know, unwell, he would say that it's inner heat that's building up and you got to take an oil bath and, you know, I would invariably feel better after that. And just last week I did a, a full oil bath. I felt amazing. So could you talk to us about Abhyanga and what it does for us? So, you know, bugs eat oil. Okay. That's the microbes. That's one of their food supplies is oil. So when you put oil on your skin, you're actually feeding the microbiology on your skin. Um, so this is why in Ayurveda, they've been doing Ayurvedic Abhyanga from the beginning. Um, to support the most important thing, which is the subtle. I think that the, the, the one thing that I've learned about Ayurveda that, that is the most profound is that the more subtle the thing is, the more powerful it is. They knew about microbes in the Rig Veda five, 6,000 years ago. They called mm -hmm. them primi, invisible microbes, invisible bacteria, invisible bugs. And they had visible ones and invisible ones. And they talked about them in relationship to hygiene. They talked about them in relationship to uh, immunity. But they also talked about them not to kill them, but to change the environment, change the host. So if I could change my environment of my body, of my gut, then the bugs, the right bugs would proliferate and the wrong bugs would go away. So it's a beautiful idea. So the, 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 the skin has a microbiome and it's fed by the oil that we eat. Ghee, clarified butter, is got the highest source of butyric acid on the planet. So when you boil up all the milk solids, you end up with butyric acid, 
which is a fatty acid that is the number one driver of gut immunity in your gut. Uh, humans live and breathe and die for butyric acid in your gut. Your gut immunity depends on it. It's so important that there's microbes in your gut, one called Clostridium butyricum, that makes ghee or butyric acid in your own intestinal tract. So how mm. Ayurveda knew thousands years ago to take some milk, boil off all the milk cells and make this oil, I don't know how they knew it. But it turns out that that is such a powerful thing to heal the intestinal skin. And they eat that oil. Just like on your skin, they're going to eat that oil. Now, the problem with America mm. is that we put oil in our bread and in packaged foods and our cereals and crackers that has been so highly processed that the bugs won't eat it. So mm. when I was a kid, the bread would get hard in the day. And there was bakers in every little village. There was a bakery, and you'd go to the bakery, and every day they have bread, new bread. But now they put oil in the bread, and the bread stays squishy forever. Well, that oil is so highly bleached, boiled, deodorized, and processed that the bugs won't eat it. So you mm -hmm. put a loaf of bread, the bugs won't eat it. So now it's a preservative, not preserving you, preserving the bread. The bread. Because no bugs will eat the bread anymore. Now you eat that bread, and where does all the indigestible oil that your bugs won't eat go? Right to your liver and your gallbladder. Your liver and gallbladder, number one abdominal surgery in America today is getting your liver and gallbladder taken out. Well, not, I'm sorry, getting your gallbladder removed because of bile sludge and years of eating these bad, highly processed oils that no bug will eat. So we end up, you know, feeding ourselves with these processed foods that create, that don't feed our microbiology. So our microbiology diversity gets less and less and less, which is dangerous. And also the waste product is you got to put it to the garbage can. So it goes to the garbage can with your liver, congest your liver. And the liver is more important than you think. It's, it's, uh, it manufactures hormones and everything. It manufactures bile, which is like a Pac-Man that scrubs and cleans your intestinal tract. But it also emulsifies all your good fats for energy and mood stability. But it also is a buffer for the acid in your stomach. Mm -hmm. So if you're not making good bile in your liver, as most people don't do these days, you're not making the buffer for the acid in your stomach. So your stomach says, hey, they don't make any acid down there. If I keep making all this acid, I'm going to burn a hole through something, so I better stop making the acid. Oh. So your stomach over time says, hey, I'm just going to stop making some of the acid because you guys stopped making some of the bile, so I'm just going to dial the whole thing down a little bit, and you'll figure out if I eat wheat, I feel bad. If I eat dairy, I feel bad. If I eat nuts and seeds and grains and legumes and lectins, I feel bad. So we're just going to not eat any of that stuff, and you're going to be fine. Problem with that is you might feel better not eating those foods, but all those foods I just mentioned, they're hard to digest for a reason. They mm. act as irritants to the intestinal lining, the intestinal skin. And that irritation is why we have gut immunity. Studies show when you eat wheat, which is a hard to digest, irritating grain, that it triggers gut immunity. And people who eat wheat have three times less mercury in their blood than people who are gluten-free. People who eat wheat have significantly more good bugs and less bad bugs than people who are gluten-free. And people who eat wheat also have significantly more killer T cells, a measure of immunity, than people who are gluten-free. And that's just the beginning of the science. But the point is, is that we end up eating this baby food diet going down, well, this feels bad, this feels bad, this feels take out, take out, take out. I've got nothing left to eat. My bugs aren't being fed. My microbiome, my good immunity becomes compromised. And I'm nutritionally now deficient because I'm not eating any food. 
Mm. And so just taking the food out of the diet is like kicking the can down the road. It's not going to fix the problem. Sure, you're going to feel better for a while. And if you eat wheat and feel bad, sure, don't eat it. Don't eat dairy if you feel bad, but fix the problem. And that's what Ayurveda brings to the table is an understanding of how to bring the whole digestive system back into balance, heal repair of the intestinal skin, support a healthy new microbiome that can do the digesting for you without having to go down the road of you know compromise down the road. So that's an amazing strategy. Don't eliminate the food that you're eating that's causing problems. You can avoid it, but then address the root cause, which is the gut itself. Uh, and speaking about oil and, and fat that you were talking about a while back, you've sort of said that um, the molecules of emotion are actually stored in our body in some of these fat cells, right? And so I can imagine someone listening to this episode going, how can emotion be stored in a molecule? How is that possible? Can you break that down for us a bit? Well, that was Candice Pert's work. Uh, she she uh, uh, wrote a book called The Molecules of Emotion, and she was an NIH researcher and found that there were peptides, little information-carrying molecules in our body that carry emotion. Um, she proved that work. And um, so every time you have an emotional threat, like for example, and I think you'll, you'll recognize if, you, if you're a 10 year old and you walk into a cave and a lion chases you out, you could be 95 years old and somehow wander back into that cave again and you will know, mm. don't go into that cave. You're not gonna forget it. You see, because we, the way the body works is it creates a storage, a memory of these old traumas. So we don't, so for species survival, right? Just like the genetic code is changed by our bugs, traumas are written into the white matter of our brain. And those white matter of the brain is actually carried those old impressions. And we also have pre-recorded stress responses, peptides. So if you have a repetitive stress, like your mom yelling at you all the time or whatever it is, then you have a pre-recorded stress response to deal with that so you don't get hurt feelings, okay? But we also take some of those deep traumas in our, and write them in the white matter of our brain. And that keeps us doing the same dumb stuff again in a lot of ways, emotionally. Keeps us unconscious. So I did a lot of articles in the last couple of years on breathing techniques, chanting, breath holding, kumbhak, uh, all the benefits of ancient Ayurvedic breathing techniques and found that um, the common denominator of all mm -hmm. those articles that I wrote was they all support what's called neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity means the rewriting of the impressions of the white matter of your brain. So you don't do the same dumb thing again and again and again. You have the ability to change in a neuroplastic way, mold, morph your brain to think new thoughts, open up door number two, and now do something different than the old way you did it. That's why breathing techniques, Ayurvedic breathing techniques, yoga breathing techniques were invented to create a, an erasing of the old impression so you can be free to do you as opposed to doing what those impressions, emotionally traumas, those emotional traumas may have encouraged you to do when you were five and 10 years old. But now that you're 40 and 50 years old, you have the ability to choose. Mm -hmm. I can have discernment. I understand that that bear is not in that cave anymore. I can actually take action to be free. And I can love my mother through the window of compassion and understanding versus judge her and push her away. So I can, instead of doing the same reaction thing I did my whole life as a kid, I can now become conscious and free myself. 
Amazing. And, you know, since our last meeting, uh, one update is that I'm these days a breathwork instructor. So I'm all about the breath, love the breath. And the way that I was reminded of you is when I was going through James and Esther's book, Breath. And on page 23, I came, came across your case study where you uh, were working with some cyclists and you conducted an experiment comparing the effects of mouth breathing or nasal breathing, right? And you learned that, well, nasal breathing is the more healthy way to go, right? So maybe if you could talk a bit about this because it's so fascinating and it was almost serendipitous that I just came across mm. your study on page 23 and I was like, I have to have Dr. Duyard once again on my show. <laughs> well, you know, um, we did, a, when I wrote my first book, Body, Mind and Sport, which is what he was referring to that research we did, we published a study in International Journal of Neuroscience on the difference between nose breathing and mouth breathing during exercise. And we found that when people nose breathe, their brains would go into an alpha state. They would go okay. into a meditative, coherent calm. So all the parts of the brain were doing the same thing and the brain waves slowed down. When you were <laughs> huffing and puffing through the mouth, the brain went into a fight or flight beta state and changed. So we literally changed the brain waves. It was the first time anybody had replicated alpha brain waves in the brain during exercise ever. It was an unprecedented finding. And we also measured the fight or flight and sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system. And normally in exercise, when you exercise, the fight or flight goes up and the parasympathetic goes to zero. In our study, the fight or flight actually um, didn't actually stayed at about 50% and the, and the parasympathetic stayed at about 50%. So instead of having a full on fight or flight reaction, we had the two opposite nervous systems coexisting. And this is back to what we talked about the eye of the storm. When you have the coexistence of opposites, in your nervous system functioning. Now, my brain waves are calm. My brain wave coherence are still. My fight or flight nervous system is down and my parasympathetic calm nervous system is up. All that is the eye of the storm. So I've created an experience now where I am, I am, in, the, I am in the eye of the storm, but I'm also running as fast as I can in our study. So we had dynamic activity coexisting with a neurological calm, brainwave co co coherence, alpha wave meditative brainwave production, parasympathetic dominance. All of a sudden in the coexistence, we were, so we had both. We had the calm, the eye of the storm and the winds. We proved, what I was trying to prove way back then was the runner's high. The runner's high was my best race is my easiest race. That you slip into this state of incredible potential, human potential by slipping into the state of the coexistence of opposites. Meditation is a pull back the bow, established being. Yoga can be that way. But mm. a lot of people do their yoga and their meditation, um, but they don't take, they don't shoot the arrow. So we have all these stress reduction techniques. I do yoga, I meditate. But then, um, then I go back into my life and I'm back in the winds of the storm. So my goal, my whole career was, how do I take the eye of the storm with me? The bigger the calm, the more powerful the winds. So the idea was when you pull back the bow, mm. you have to not just meditate and then just stop. You got to pull back the bow and then take action from that place. And that's the risky place. That's where you're doing you. Being vulnerable, being sensitive, being loving, being kind, being nice versus just you know taking pot shots with your bow and arrow. So, so that's the game of life part is mm. to, yeah, meditate, have all this beautiful stillness. It's a stress reduction technique. 
it's not a stress prevention evolutionary spiritual human potential technique until you finish the job, which is pull back the bow, shoot the arrow. And in chapter 48 of the Bhagavad Gita, it clearly says, establish being before action, yoga stuff, Kuru Kamani. You must first establish being, and then from that being, take action. Take it off the mat. Take the, the consciousness with you. And that's been my journey my whole life, which includes lifestyle, circadian rhythms, you know, di better healthy digestion. Because if you don't have a good digestion and you're in pain, you can't find the silence. You're so stressed out, you're holding, you're not, it's too painful to hold the arrow still. Mm. You know? So we have to establish being first. But then the missing piece in most spiritual organizations, or in my experience, was we don't take you into the action step. How do mm. we yeah. take it into everyday life? People are so busy. I have my spiritual process and don't talk to me. I'm so busy. I got to go meditate. Like, mm. whoa, wait, wait. That's not how it works. You know what I mean? It's like the monk in the church is like the holiest monk of all, you know, um, and in the holiest monk of all. And then um, when the Pope comes, he's like pushing people out of the way to get to the to get to the monk and then go from there. That makes sense. Oh, it does. I mean, it makes sense, not just for running, but it makes sense metaphorically as well. Um, not only is it possible for polarities to coexist, but it's important for life to sustain, for people on both sides of the spectrum to sort of have dialogue and discussions, because in doing that, not only are you gonna maximize the potential of humanity, but also you're gonna, you're gonna thrive. So thanks a lot for bringing that important perspective that you need to not only have the sympathetic, but also the parasympathetic and both need to come together in order to have that runner's high, but also to get high on your own supply <laughs> when it comes to breath work. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, so let's say somebody who is listening to this episode right now and says, Dr. Duyard, I'm ready. It's December, you know, 2020. I want to start afresh and I want to really take control of my health. How should they be thinking through this? Well, you know, tis, tis the season for giving, right? And it's a season where we're all a lot more isolated than we've ever been before. And I think that's an opportunity, you know, to explore some inner space. You know, yep. one of my favorite old sayings is to the extent that someone or something affects you is to the extent that it's your karma. Karma meaning action. That means that to the extent that something or someone affects you is, the, uh, is to the extent that it's an opportunity for you to take transformational action and free yourself from old patterns of behavior that aren't serving you any longer. So that's sort of the, uh, the, the, the opportunity that we have. And that means taking action, as we said, you know, say if, if you're isolated during you know, COVID during the holidays, this is an opportunity for you to take action because to the extent that it affects you, means your move. You have an opportunity to grow here. Do you have to take it? No, you don't have to. Fruit ripen on the tree all the time. You can pick them or you don't have to pick them. It's okay. They'll come again. But, uh, but every time you have something that affects you, there's an opportunity for growth. And, and that would mean um, sometimes you have to take action in the outer, in the outer well, in outer space kind of, kind of way, or sometimes it requires inner space. And with the isolation that we're all going to somehow, a lot of us are going to experience in the holidays, I think it's a great time for, for inner space. I think that uh, also, um, you know, it's a, you know, when you think about um, probably the most upstream thing other than, you know, spirituality and consciousness and inner space is probably the circadian rhythms, our connection to nature, you know, looking. And I've written so many articles on circadian medicine 
and how we can begin to live in sync with those natural cycles, eating with the seasons, eating at the right time, going to bed at the right time, you know, vitamin D in the morning. If you're older like me, you need a little, uh, your melatonin levels are not being produced as much as they did, which happens with aging. Um, you know, start looking at low dose, you know, melatonin, either with foods or with supplements to give you a little bit of a nudge in your melatonin supply because there's a link to that to aging is phenomenal. And it doesn't have to be, you can be, there's many foods like tart cherries have melatonin, Golgi berries have melatonin, almonds have melatonin, oranges have melatonin, pineapples have melatonin, lots of ways to get more than you need. But the point is, is that there's, 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 we don't produce as much of that as we age. And it's important to, uh, to understand how to hack the aging process. Uh, Ayurveda was all about hacking the aging process because they knew for us to become conscious, it took a hundred years to figure it all out. You don't just get it, you know? It takes a, a lifetime of knowledge and a lifetime of experience to, to, to know how to, to start taking action through door number two versus door number one, which is the, the based on which is door number one is just our old repetitive patterns, our protective patterns, our armor that we've hold, held on to our whole life. At some point, it's time to let go of that armor and be free to let who you truly are out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Absolutely. And I'm sure that people listening to this episode right now, whether they're on YouTube or on our podcast, they have some actionable steps that they can take now in order to transform their life. Uh, so I appreciate you for sharing all of this, the research, the evidence, the stories, as well as specific steps that people can take immediately. Um, before you go, what is that one thing that you are grateful today, Dr. Diard, and how can we get to know you and get to learn about your work online. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about gratitude. I meditate on the gratitude every day. So I'm constantly looking for ways to be grateful for the people that are in my life, my, my staff, my wife. Um, I think that um, my family, um, you know, we, we, we rarely look through the window of understanding people and gratitude for what they, you know, for what they bring to us and the opportunities that they give us to learn and to grow. And uh, so I, I, I am so grateful for my staff and my family. They're the people that are the closest to me. And, uh, and I think once you look through that window, you're not done. The next step is to take action based on that gratitude. You have to mm -hmm. put it into motion. And that's called neuroplasticity. You lay down new neural pathways, new neural pavement. So now you have, now instead of the old road based on needing to be loved with four lanes and lights on it and McDonald's all the way on the way, you have new pavement that you've laid that is you doing you for the first time, freeing you. And the more you facilitate that neural pathway, the more easier it becomes to number one, see door number two, which is a choice, and then, they, and then open it, walk through it and take action on that road. That's the goal. You said to become, be grateful for the people in your life, but then you got to take action. It's not done. You haven't finished the equation until you take action. And that's what I, that's why I, 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 I practice that a lot in my life. It's a big piece of my 
my personal practice. Wonderful. And how can we find you online? Uh, yeah. So my website is lifespa.com, L-I-F-E-S-P-A.com. And uh, we have put out uh, about three articles and videos a week on ancient wisdom and modern science. We also have a pretty robust YouTube channel. So you can go to find me on YouTube as well at Dr. John Duyard or Lifespa. Um, and um, and uh, of course, we're on social media as well. And you can follow us there. I do, a, I do a Facebook Live every week on Wednesday at around 11, Mountain Time, around 11.15. If you want to tune into some live stuff, that's always fun as well. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Dr. Diaz. And Action Tribe, if you're listening to this episode right now or watching on YouTube, make sure that you take a screenshot of this episode and tag both me and Dr. Duyard. My handle is at my7chakras and you can tag Dr. Duyard as well and share it as an Insta story so that we can connect in that way. Dr. Duyard, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about Ayurveda and yoga and our gut and our skin and our brain and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Happy, happy see holidays. You. Be safe. Action Tribe, are you finding it hard to de-stress and unwind in the midst of this crazy pandemic? Come join us for a soothing, relaxing breathwork session online on Zoom. Now, I do these sessions for our paid members twice a week, and I've received so many powerful testimonials from people who have received a lot of support, comfort, and healing from these sessions. And to show you just how powerful these yogic breathwork practices are, every month I do a breathwork intro workshop for people who would like to give this a shot. In the past, people have paid anywhere between 10 to $20 for a drop-in, but for a short while, I've decided to make these sessions available for just 50 cents a ticket. And these sessions are live, but you just pay 50 cents. So if you'd like to learn how to calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss using your breath from the comfort of your home, visit my7chakras.com forward slash breath work intro. That's my seven is a word, my seven chakras.com forward slash breath work intro. I'll see you soon. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to my seven chakras at my seven chakras.com. That is my S E V E N chakras.com